There's a blood red circle on the cold dark ground And the rain is falling down The church door's thrown open I can hear the organ song But the congregation's gone My city of ruin Hey everybody, this is Chris Joseph. Welcome to the Oive LA podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Josh Gertler. Hey, Josh. Hey, Chris. Do you want to introduce our first guest? I would be happy to. We're really pleased today to have with us John Rigardi. John is a veteran Los Angeles journalist who contributes to news, politics, business, and entertainment stories uh, in dozens at, at of print and online publications. He regularly writes for Los Angeles Magazine and is the former editor of the Los Angeles Downtown News. John has received numerous journalism awards and frequently discusses political and other matters on local radio and TV stations. He lives in Highland Park with his wife and two children. Welcome, John. We're so happy to have you with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Really excited to, to break in the new show with you. Thanks. So, Oy Vey, L.A., there's no bigger political story in Los Angeles today than the mayoral race, which is underway. And we'd like to start our discussion with you today by asking you some questions about the race. The primary is coming up in a few short weeks in early June. Give us your thoughts about the race in general and how it's unfolded and where it's trending and what your, what your thoughts are in general about um, what we might expect as Angelinos. Oh, you know, it's a great question. And, you know, for folks who are political nerds like me, you know, this is like a five team Super Bowl that's going to last for another two months. And then it'll go down to a two team Super Bowl that lasts for another five months. So it's really exciting. You know, I find the civic structure and the leadership of Los Angeles really important, really interesting. And because of that, this race is truly fascinating. There's about a dozen people on the ballot, but as we all know, there's essentially five main people. Um, and certainly the one who's been getting the most attention recently is the most recent person to enter, uh, Rick Caruso, the billionaire developer. We've seen how he's just jumped up, rocketed up uh, in the polls in the last couple months uh, from about 8% a couple months ago to 24%. But that's kind of to be expected because Rick Caruso just spent $9 million on advertising uh, in the last two months. So some people looked at that and they're like, wow, we're really surprised he did that and kind of think it'd be surprising if he wasn't there after all that. But this is absolutely not a Rick one runaway, no matter what he might like to think. U.S. Rep Karen Bass, who got into the race back in um, September, uh, you know, she pulled at 23 percent. So she's right up there as well. And there are a lot of people who say, you know what, this is a two person race. I think that's premature. I think we would be foolish to write off Kevin DeLeon at this point, the 14th district council member, former speaker of this, um, excuse me, former president of the state Senate. And we've also got city attorney Mike Fuhr and council member Joe Buscaino in there. These are five political veterans. They've all been around the way. They all know how to run campaigns. Uh, 
it's really fascinating. And we're seeing, you know, uh, we had a pretty interesting debate a few weeks ago. There's going to be another one coming up on May 1st. Um, you know, we've seen some personal attacks. We've seen some actual discussions of policy and real topics. But I think this is really going to be fascinating as we move, not just as you mentioned, Josh, to the election on June 7th, but even before that in mid-May is when the mail-in ballots are gonna start arriving. Interesting. So you talked a little bit about Rick Russo self-funding his campaign with millions of dollars. Is there the potential for some voter backlash on that? Absolutely. And, you know, and I think we've already seen it, but, you know, the question will be, you know, ultimately how much, and this is one of the places where I think things get really interesting. One of the many places where I think things get interesting. You know, he's, he has already spent, uh, you know, $9 million. And then just the other day, you can track this on the City Ethics Commission, he loaned his campaign another $6 million. You know, there's an expectation that, you know, you know, that by the time we get to the June election, he could spend 30 or $40 million and then could conceivably do that again if he makes the runoff. So certainly there is a concern over that money. And some of the other candidates are trying to make that even a bigger issue. Uh, we've heard many people mention many times that Rick Caruso owns a $100 million yacht, the Invictus. Um, and it's not to damn him because of wealth, but it raises the question of, hey, if you have that much money, can you still connect with the average Angelina when we have a lot of people who are making minimum wage? Um, so there's some people who say, oh gosh, Rick Caruso, he's just trying to by the election, but I would step back and point out, you know what? Every election, someone's trying to buy the election. Either you have a lot of money and you're doing it or you're raising money or you have independent expenditures backing with you. So we shouldn't be so Pollyanna-ish and say, well, he's trying to buy it. Someone's always trying to buy the election, whether you're doing it yourself or someone's trying to buy it you know, for you. It's just different degrees. That's really interesting, John. Um, Let's turn to the other presumed front runner, Karen Bass. Um, on the campaign trail, she's been touting her relationships in Washington, DC as a benefit to voters, but she's a sitting member of Congress. Uh, and so she's part of one of the most reviled institutions in America right now. Do you think voters are gonna reward her for having the president's cell phone number or punish her for the lackluster performance of, of Congress? It's a great question. And I think right now within Los Angeles, you know, you'll probably certainly find a few who will, uh, you know, see that the, you know, habits of what goes on in Washington, D.C. But I think there's a lot more people out here who like her. Um, you know, Karen Bass, as we mentioned, she got into the race back in September and she had this incredible wave and momentum. Um, you know, she was really... You know, her profile obviously really increased when she was on President Biden's or then, you know, hope, he hoped to be president, but when he made, when she made Joe Biden's short list uh, for vice presidential running mates, and then she gained a lot more attention again when she was being considered uh, to be appointed to a U.S. Senate seat. So there are a lot of people, particularly on the progressive end, who really like her. And there's a lot of people who feel like, you know what, given where Los Angeles is, given some of our fractures, it is time for a black woman to be mayor of Los Angeles, but not just a black woman because she's a black woman, but this black woman, she is accomplished. She has roots in Los Angeles. Back in the 1990s, she started the social justice nonprofit, the Community Coalition. As we all know, she was the speaker of the state assembly. She's very much accomplished. Um, you know, in terms of Washington these days, 
double-edged sword. On one hand, you're sort of removed from what's going on in daily life in Los Angeles. On the other hand, if you get elected, you have a great lane to bring money back from Washington to Los Angeles, which is what Los Angeles needs. We need money, money, money from Sacramento and Washington. So I do think that, you know, Josh, you've raised a great point, but I think in general, there's a lot more people who will, uh, you know, like her than be opposed to her because of those DC ties. Before we leave the mayor's race, what do you see as the key issues in, in this election and how might that benefit or not benefit each of the major candidates? Uh, I'd say the first most important issue is homelessness. The second is homelessness. The third is homelessness. Then we get to housing and then we come back to homelessness. Um, you know, a little facetious there, but clearly we all know how the state of our streets have changed and that many Angelinos are extremely unhappy with seeing what's happened to public spaces. And then on the other side, you have, ad, you have people experiencing homelessness and advocates for the homeless community who are angry that they feel the government has not done enough. So you have every candidate trying to get out there and say, I am the person who can solve homelessness. They all are really good at saying things, but you know, let's be honest, this is not going to be resolved easily. When I was at Downtown News, we covered this issue for a long time and it is entrenched. You know, it's great that more money is coming for it. Mayor Garcetti just released his new budget, uh, you know, the other day. So there's going to be about $1.2 billion going to homelessness services more than ever before. But really, I think we're just going to see this issue become more and more prominent. There will be discussions of housing, which is tied into that. There are discussions of public safety. There are discussions of corruption within City Hall. But really, what do people care about? It's how they get around and how they live in and how they navigate this city. And homelessness is that top matter, I believe. So let's shift to Council District 5 and west side of LA. Who are the major candidates and how is that race shaping up? This is, you know, there's eight council seats that are, there are eight city council uh, seats that are up for grabs. Five of them are held by incumbents. Three of them are opened. And definitely, I think the fifth district is the most interesting. This is the one where Paul Koretz on, you know, is leaving wealthy community, West Side, uh, you know, what are the demographics, something like uh, average wage of $82,000 from a story I wrote recently, 95% um, of area residents 25 and older have at least a high school diploma. Um, but where it gets interesting is you have, there's four people who've qualified for the ballot. Um, and there could be some history here. Um, the per, you know, there's one of the candidates is named Sam Yebri. Uh, he's seeking to be the first Iranian American ever to be elected to the Los Angeles City Council. He's an attorney and the guy has been a phenom at fundraising. He has been everywhere. He raised by December 31st, he'd already raised $683,000. That's not just more than anyone else in the race. That's more than any other council member running for any seat, including incumbents. Sam has really been doing the work, but he's not gonna skate through his 
Other main competitor is Katie Young Yaroslavsky. If the last name sounds familiar, it's because she is the daughter-in-law of the political artist known as Zev Yaroslavsky, uh, who did in fact hold this seat for 20 years before joining the Board of Supervisors. Uh, she works for Supervisor Sheila Kuehl. She's also really connected. There's two other candidates in there as well. Jimmy Biblarts, um, who grew up poor in the district, went to Harvard, um, is run of, you know, looks very good as well uh, in public forums. And Scott Epstein, uh, who's a member of neighborhood councils and uh, you know, does some other things as well. So you have four people. I've you know, seen some of the debates, the discussions. As we discussed before, homelessness is a key issue um, within this race, but it's really fascinating. With four people, we're probably not gonna have a winner on June 7th. It's probably gonna be the same thing as the mayor's race. We're probably gonna get the top two finishers who, you know, no one's probably going to get more than 50%. So we'll probably end up with a November runoff. So, you know, you know, it, you know, it's, it's fascinating. As I said, I just nerd out over this stuff. It's one of a few really good races that we have to look forward to. John, this next election is going to reshape the Los Angeles city council dramatically. There's a several other interesting council races. We don't have time to talk about all of them, but I want to ask you to talk about the race in CD11, where incumbent Mike Bonin, who's eligible for another term, has taken the rare step of opting out of his um, uh, uh, option to run again, and, um, there's, and did so late in the process, and there's a, now a mad scramble um, to qualify. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that race and how that might uh, take shape between a primary and a general election. Well, you remember those professional wrestling battle royales, right? We get like, you know, 12 people in the ring and everyone just fights it out and you wind up with two left. That's what this thing is gonna be like. We've got eight people uh, who have qualified for the ballot um, and they come from, you know, various, you know, various sectors, you know, up, you know, of the community, um, you know, by December 31st, you had already had three people who had raised more than, you know, two, more than $100,000. And the other ones were just about, you know, to, you know, to get going. Um, you know, it's hard for me to know at this point, you know, who, you know, who, who is the front runner? Uh, you ask eight different candidates and they will all tell you they're the front runner. But, you know, once again, and I feel like I'm just, you know, beating that same drum or dead horse or whatever it is we beat, but so much of this race is going to be defined by homelessness. The, a lot of community members in particularly Venice, but throughout CD11 had really, you know, become furious at council member Bonin for what had happened for the tents that proliferated uh, on the Venice Beach Boardwalk for crime that was happening in other communities. They felt that he was being too permissive. Meanwhile, Councilmember Bonin and his supporters were like, hey, we can't just force people off the streets because there's nowhere for them to go. We're just gonna kick them out of this district you know, into others. And it really divided the community. Josh, as you just referenced, um, you know, it led to Bonin taking the rare step of saying, I'm not gonna do a third term. And he actually cited, you know, very bravely some of the mental health challenges uh, that he had faced. So, you know, all eight of these candidates as they crack, as they scratch and claw and try to throw each other out of the ring, it's gonna be, you know, arguing over these issues of who can, again, resolve this homelessness situation, who can ensure that these streets and communities of, CD11, you know, are going to be safe. You know, again, I feel like I'm just resorting back to the same cliche, but it's another 
fascinating race in one of the many fascinating races. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I'm lucky we get to cover all this stuff this time. Yeah, I, I don't think voters expect it to be resolved, but I do think voters want to see progress. And I think that was part of the problem when Bonin's district in particular, that things were just getting so much worse over the last few years and they felt he wasn't doing much about it. Yeah, a- absolutely. And we feel, and we've seen that play out, you know, in other neighborhoods and, you know, and just across the city and in commun- including communities where there aren't elections. Uh, you know, when I was at downtown news for so long, homelessness was concentrated mainly in the Skid Row area. And then you had pockets, you know, small pockets in Venice, small pockets, you know, in Hollywood. But now after, you know, certain lawsuits were lost and more people, uh, you know, have unfortunately fallen into homelessness, we've seen it sprout in every single neighborhood. You know, communities in the San Fernando Valley where we never saw it, that happens. I live in Northeast LA, there's, you know, there's tent encampments. Um, and, you know, and again, we go back to where we started with, you know, that's something that the mayoral candidates are all trying to make hay out of saying LA has slipped and pick me, I'm the woman, I'm the man who's gonna turn things around. I'm gonna build X many thousands of beds and blah, like magic, it's gonna be fixed. Well, no, it's not. I think you both raise an important point, which is that voters recognize that this is an intractable problem that is ubiquitous across the city and there is no silver bullet. But this, this campaign also marks the end of an era which is we have our, the city of Los Angeles' longest ever serving mayor, I believe, um, who's about to exit um, perhaps sooner than his term ends. Um, as, as you all know, um, our current mayor, Eric Garcetti, was appointed by President Biden to become an ambassador of India. And that confirmation process has um, seen a series of com- complicated speed bumps for our mayor. Tell us a little bit about where you think that stands today and what his chances are of making a graceful exit to India while the homelessness problem um, you know, is, is in the rear view mirror. Yeah, you know, uh, and, you know, as we know, I mean, it's been 10 months since President Biden nominated Mayor Garcetti and, uh, you know, Mayor Garcetti had his hearing before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee back in December. One thing that a lot of people have forgotten is that uh, one of the people who was having a confirmation hearing at the same time was Amy Gutman uh, from, you know, Pennsylvania, who was seeking to be the U.S. ambassador to Germany. She's now been approved and she has begun her gig. So here we are still with Eric Garcetti stuck. Why? We all know what's going on. We know that there has been a lawsuit, um, you know, by one of his former, you know, bodyguards or police officers, one of his 40 former bodyguards accusing uh, his former, you know, close aide Rick Jacobs of, you know, inappropriate touching. Um, you know, and then there have been some other, you know, allegations as well um, that, you know, Jacobs did not behave appropriately. Uh, it's been denied. Let's also remember that much of this stems from a lawsuit, much but not all of it. Lawsuits always have agendas. And then the question has become, did Garcetti witness any untoward behavior and did he permit it? He has gone on record time and again saying he did not. He testified that he did not. But we know as well that, you know, other senators are saying, yeah, let's look into this a little bit more. Um, you know, there were some people who thought a couple of weeks ago that the 
nomination was going to be withdrawn. That has not happened yet. You know, what do we know? We know that Eric Garcetti wants this job, that Eric Garcetti covets this job. We know as well that Eric Garcetti is close to President Biden. He endorsed Biden at a key time back in the last election and stumped really hard for him. So they have a longstanding relationship. So I think we also have to think that if President Biden ultimately wants this to happen, it will happen. Democrats control the Senate. They've got 50 votes in the vice presidency. They can ram this through if they want. Do we really think that a sitting Democrat is going to say, you know what, Mr. President? Nah, I'm not going to pass this guy. Um, but stranger things have happened. Um, the, you know, uh, two senators have placed holds on this. Um, there's the expectation that this could come up for a vote sometime after the Senate recess, which I believe ends, uh, you know, ends next week. We've got to assume that uh, Mayor Garcetti is out there pushing for this. Um, but again. We don't know what's going to happen. It's been this, you know, incredible waiting game. It's like, you know, waiting for Godot, except for waiting for Garcetti. And we don't know what's going to happen. What's your gut say? Does he get approved? You know, I wish I had a good gut feeling on this, you know, but, you know, but I've been wrong every step of the way. I mean, uh, you know, no one would have ever thought that it was going to be, you know, 10 months. I mean, I, I don't know what you, you guys watch this stuff. What do you think? I mean, wh where's this going? I, I'm going to chime in and say he does not get approved, but with the caveat that I'm wrong a lot. So and I'll chime in and say that the untold story is that he has a former aide um, who has been really fanning the flames in Washington, D.C., who's very who was very angry about um, her um, treatment in that office and has um, filed a whistleblower um uh, complaint and uh, urged that uh, whistleblower entity in DC to um, uh, hold him as, as for perjury. And um, so that, that's the quiet story behind the story that I think hasn't been told so much. I'd give it a 50-50. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and, and if that's the case, US senators sure don't like people lying to them. That is true. What about the uh, let's let's move to something else in the news, the Jose Weizar trial come this fall. What 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 can we expect out of that? I will be stunned if we get to an actual trial, um, you know, and like so many people, you know, and once again, I'm going to use that uh, same word. I've, you know, hit too many times, you know, bad journalist, but, you know, this is fascinating. Um, you know, one of the most prominent individuals in Los Angeles to be the focus of this sprawling investigation, over 40 federal counts, RICO counts, um, you know, that he operated a CD14 enterprise. They are, they are going after him like they go after organized crime. Um, and as we know, you know, altogether nine different people have been charged. I think five of them, uh, you know, have settled. But I mean, look, you can almost put together a prison softball team if everyone goes to the same pokey, uh, you know, with that. Um, and, you know, then we can make other jokes about who played, you know, who's the cleanup hitter. I don't know. Um, but, you know, look, you know, these are very serious charges, as we know, I'm making light of them. But, you know, we're talking about alleged misuse of, you know, government you know, offices and disabuse and abusing of the public trust. Um, and the feds, they don't mess around. They're not going to be doing this 
unless they are sure they have a watertight case. Um, I would, you know, you know, there are a lot of counts that each individually have a maximum sentence of 10 or 20 years. I'd be stunned if this ultimately goes to trial. Um, I have to think that he probably wants to find a way that he can, or his attorneys want to find a way where they can plea, where he can serve a certain amount of time and get out in time to, you know, still, you know, see his kids who are young. Um, but look, again, we've also seen, you know, federal prosecutors lose cases. So, you know, who knows? So isn't the conventional wisdom, John, the longer this goes, the less likely he is to take a plea? What makes you suggest that a plea agreement is looming? Is it just the severity and of, of the blade that sits above his neck right now? Exactly. I've got, I've got no special knowledge. I've got no friends within the, uh, you know, within the Department of Justice. Those guys don't leak. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, privy to any special source. So, you know, aggregators, you know, this is, this is not your guy. Um, but yeah, again, it is just due to the, you know, and, and you're absolutely right, Josh, that is the, you know, presumed wisdom there. But again, it's just the massive amount that's been out there. And, you know, and the information sprinkled out and released by the feds, they do everything intentionally. When they release photos showing, you know, boxes of money, they do that for a reason. When they show photos of the council member, you know, in Las Vegas at casinos, that's for a reason. Everything is to send, a, you know, to send a message. So, um, yeah, again, you know, look, he may have a great legal team. They may see plenty of holes in this. He has tried to say that, okay, maybe some of what I did was unsavory, but not illegal. Um, you know, I'm not a legal expert. You know, look, I hope we get a trial. It's going to be really interesting. I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to have a lot of fun writing about it. The three of us will be back together, you know, in October when this is, you know, making hay out of this one. Um, so yeah, well, yeah, but your your guess is is as is, is as good as if not better than mine. Let's finish our lap around the horseshoe at City Hall, and for the you know seventeen of us Angelinos who follow local <laughs> politics uh, as closely as as we do, the other political story in City Hall is the controversy about um, the. Uh, Councilman from the 10th District, Mark Ridley Thomas, uh, being indicted. But even more interesting is the fight to replace him with an appointment for the previous sitting council member, Herb Wesson. Tell us your thoughts about that dynamic and where we, um, what does your crystal ball say in terms of where it might go? Oh, I mean, crikey, this one is, uh, you know, this one, this one's been a mess for, you know, from the get go, as we all know, uh, you know, as well, council member, uh, Mark Ridley Thomas, essentially as close as you get to a political legend in Los Angeles, 30 years in elected office, including 12 years in the county board of supervisors came back having won this seat. Uh, you know, in 2020, and federal authorities have targeted him for allegations of, uh, you know, an, an improper relationship uh, with people at USC, uh, asserting that, you know, he tried to, you know, essentially get some help for his son. Uh, you know, let's note as well that he has fiercely, very fiercely denied all charges. He's got a lot of community members, uh, including a lot of leading clergy members who have spoken up and organized and even put together websites saying the treatment of him has been, you know, unfair. Um, so, you know, you know, this is 
presumably moving toward a trial, uh, you know, as well. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. You know, the council, as we, as you pointed out, did suspend him. They used the precedent of having suspended Jose Rizar before, even though, you know, there's 20, uh, you know, charges against Ridley Thomas and 40 against Rizar. So two for one, whatever that may mean. Um, but yeah, where this has gotten really interesting was the decision to try to appoint someone to fill out his term. And they tried first with uh, Herb Wesson, the former office holder, the former um, president of the city council. And then that got shot down because Herb Wesson had been termed out. And then Herb Wesson got put back in because the judge said, well, you know what, you maybe he doesn't deserve to be here, but you actually have to get essentially, you know, a ruling from the state attorney general. So now a ruling from the attorney general. So it's sort of like, well, maybe we can keep him out, but you got to ask dad first before you bring it back to mom or ask mom before you bring it back to dad. Whatever the case, we're in a situation right now where Herb Weston is in the seat. He is representing the district. And we've seen some key members of the staff who Ridley Thomas had brought in you know, have left the district, uh, including the person who for many months, Carly Katona served as the caretaker, you know, of the district. We don't know what's going to happen here. Um, again, I'd love to have a, you know, gut feeling on this, but I'm completely lost because I have so little understanding of the legal components uh, of this. What I do expect is, you know, it's going to be messy. Um, and even no, no matter what happens in 2024, the seat is going to be open anyways, because council member Ridley Thomas could only do one more term. So I don't know what you guys heard. Maybe you've heard some other stuff. Maybe you've got some thoughts, you know, you, you tell me, I'm, you know, like the rest of us, I'm, I'm just watching. To me, I mean, I, I'm trying to bring this back full circle to the mayor's race. I mean, with what's going on with Ridley Thomas, with Weezar, Mitchell England are already pleading guilty and serving time. It's a lot of a lot of shit going on at City Hall, and I think it it makes it easier for someone like Caruso, the outsider, to to make a case like, "Hey, I'm different. I'm I'm not one of them." Yeah, no, you're you're right, and you know, and and it's so interesting that you say that because his campaign website, he lists only three issues. It's not one of these, you know, sites where people list like 12 things and, you know, environment and traffic, you know, he lists homelessness, public safety, and city hall corruption. Um, now, why does he have those? Because we assume that he market tested and found that those are the three that resonate. Um, but yes, the, you, know, it, you know, it's an issue. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for all the, you know, smiles and laughs we've had at some of this, I think we're in a situation where what's happened has caused even more of a lack of trust, you know, in our local government. And that's not bad. That's not good for the civic infrastructure of the city. Our public needs to know that the government, you know, you know, can work, will work, that people are out there to do the right thing. And I actually do legitimately believe, and maybe I'm a little naive, I do believe that most of them are in it for the right reasons, that most of them are really trying, that public service is, tends to be more about the idea of public service. You know, sure, there's some ego and greed, but, you know, that it really is more about public, you know, public service and wanting to do the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think that all of that's contributed to something that makes us go, oy vey, L.A., um. <laughs> <laughs> on that note <laughs> well said uh, John thanks so much for joining us this has been great 
Chris, Josh, you guys have been so kind to have me on. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. 